So yes, you would like your renal biopsy sent to that specific place. And that's also yeah. where they do that STS page. Yeah. But if my, you know, my client can't afford to do that. And I see this cat that I'm really suspicious is not responding. Right. And I'm really suspicious of immune disease. Youngest, you don't have much to lose. You do not have much to lose. Right? Because, because they're going to die. Otherwise. Yeah, they're the... Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, this is the Purr Podcast. So I actually think I did that pretty good. It was so smooth. See, even Chippy appreciates it. So. Well, I don't know if he appreciates He's growling at me in the background oh, there. But uh, per podcast, we're back with Dr. Jessica Quimby. Yes. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to the show. We're so excited. We had a cliffhanger last week about uh, <laughs> the the news from, the, from Iris. And maybe you should start with what that is again. Uh, and, uh, you know, what they're planning to do in the world. Yeah, yeah. so the International Renal Interest Society, which is a great resource when thinking about, um, I guess, staging kidney disease and treatment recommendations for kidney disease. So there's a lot of information on that website that we encourage folks to check out. Right. Um, and just recently here in January, we've had some updates to recommendations. Um, okay, drum roll. Drum roll. <laughs> and there they are. Okay. Well, there's, a, there's a lot of things, actually, and mainly what we're really doing was just going through the treatment guidelines and I think kind of touching it up for right. some of the information that has come out more recently. So I, I'm not sure I can hit every single thing that's in there. I would encourage you to, to go through them, but there are some major ones. Um, we talked a little bit uh, about in the last episode, thinking a bit about FGF 23 right. and where utilizing that comes in. So I'll set that one aside for the moment. Mm -hmm. But for instance, um, you know, which drugs do we preferentially um, yes. reach for? So there, there was a couple of clarification clarifications there based on our kind of improved understanding. So mm -hmm. for instance, if we're treating proteinuria, do you reach for an IRB or do you reach for an ACE inhibitor? Um, most of us these days, in terms of the nephrology community, would reach for the ARB. So tell us our angiotensin receptor blocker. Yes, okay. Yeah, that class is seeming to be yes, yeah. So in the last couple of years, there's been several studies that have come out showing. Finally, we have some evidence to say we do really think telmisartan is at least equivocal of not equivalent or at least superior, if not superior to ACE inhibitors. And truthfully, I mean, having tried to manage patients with ACE inhibitors for so long and just not being really impressed yeah. with mm -hmm. the results, yeah. we've had a lot more success yeah. with the management of proteinuria using telmisartan. Yeah, I, I, I agree so, with you. I'm, I've been a bit long enough to you know, right? go through right? that whole thing and it's definitely easy. Yeah, so I yes. just, um, it's been, um, and we have more products available to yes. us now. So that that's really nice as well. So right. um, the, the, the guidelines did kind of put the, you know, that class forward over ACE inhibitors. Is there ever a point when you might use two drugs? Like once in a blue moon, yeah. I will have a cat who will, will just not respond. You know, I just cannot get the UPC yep. down. Yeah. And so I, I think that's a that's a big question it from is, the standpoint yeah. of uh, <laughs> drug side effects. Yes. There's also a few caveats, I think, to using both 
ARBs, anase inhibitors, anyway. Um, You know, with chronic kidney disease cats, I think we have to think about when they become proteinuric. Mm -hmm. Some of them may be proteinuric early in their stages of disease, but a lot of times they are increasingly proteinuric in the later stages of disease. I am actually quite hesitant to really pour on another drug drug because Treating proteinuria is more of a long-term story, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it's the point is really to decrease progression of mm-hmm. disease. Mm-hmm. But if you're already end stage, yes, yes, yeah, it's kind of it's, it's kind of it's, game over. Yeah, for yeah, it's it's a moot point now. It, yeah, yes. so we're we're a bit quite cautious, and then also the ARBs or the ACE inhibitors might decompensate them if they're that late stage. They might get hyperkalemia. They mm. might actually, you know, their creatinine might mm. go up more than we would like. Yeah. We're also, they're more fragile. They're more fragile. Stage, right? So so I'm I'm considering like, is this the best thing for the cat at that yeah. moment? And I would I would consider that also when I would be using the two together. We we potentially do see more side effects when we use the two together. So I'd be quite cautious Water about that. So, I mean, they can, it can decompensate their kidney disease. Ooh. Yeah. So both of those drugs have an effect on GFR. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So by dilating the efferent arterial to decrease proteinuria, you're also decreasing GFR. Right. So we want to be a little careful about that. Um, we're also, we also recommend those drugs be discontinued, like right before anesthesia. Oh. So they shouldn't, you shouldn't really go into an anesthetic event. And with, how long? Uh, we usually will do it the day before. Like, okay. let's say they should have a drug holiday. That's a really good fit. Yeah, <laughs> because, you know, when you mention, I think about it, it makes sense. But right. yeah, you don't you don't want them to be compromised in that moment. Already. Well, what if they were hypotensive under yeah. anesthesia? Yeah. Yeah. Then you're really interfering with the yeah. kidney's ability to autoregulate right. and save itself in that moment. So right. we, what we don't want, for instance, like the triple whammy would be, an ACE inhibitor or an ARB, an NSAID, an anesthesia, yeah. and then you add in some hypertension. Yeah, like, right. yeah. That's not that's not that's not good. <laughs> so so we, we do good. get we do you be a little chronic chronic acute. That's right. The acute on chronic. Yeah, yeah, there you yeah. go. And we have unfortunately seen that, right? right. So, um, and you know, people will say, well, it's it's you know, their creatinine can go up a little bit. And we're still okay with that, but we do have to be careful with that because, again, you know, especially in later stage disease, I am focused more on quality of life. And to go back to your point about, well, what if I'm, you know, I'm throwing, you know, I'm throwing ARBs and ACE inhibitors at this cat and its proteinuria is just not budge, especially if it was really pretty proteinuric. I might be asking myself, could this actually be, be an, something else? Could it be something else? Could yeah. this actually be an immune-mediated yeah. PLN? That's a good point. Yeah, and okay, so... I'm going to use okay. the bell here for acronym. It's called the acronym bell of bias. Oh, oh, ready to do the ding-ding. Yeah, so, so protein-losing nephropathy, okay. um, it's mm-hmm. rare in cats, right? right? So the majority of our cats are tubular interstitial disease. Right. Like, I'd say if we're going to pick like a random number, 95% of cats have tubular interstitial disease right. and they'll get proteinuric, increasingly proteinuric as they, if they progress and they they get glomerular sclerosis and fibrosis mm-hmm. in there. Right. But we have this very small set of cats that might truly have yeah, glomerular, glomerular disease, protein losing nephropathy and the big thing that I would watch out would be the young cat. So, and we're discovering more and more about this. If they truly have protein losing nephropathy, we did a retrospective study that showed that actually they're very likely, even more so than dogs, to have immune-mediated disease. And maybe the one reason why they're not responding to the anti-proteinuric 
uh, therapy is because mm-hmm. they yeah. actually need immunosuppression. Yeah, it's not what you mm-hmm. think it is. It's not what yeah. you think it is. Yeah. So my hallmark would be young, male, mm-hmm. profoundly proteinuric mm-hmm. um, cats. You know, their UPC is seven or yeah. 15 it's or crazy. Cra- yeah. something crazy. Yeah. And you're like, what? Yeah. That would be like a poster child for I should be considering yeah. immune-mediated disease. And they are out there. I've, 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 are. I've seen several over yes. the years. They're out and there. And they're coming out of the woodwork. Uh, because the more I talk about this, yes. almost yeah. every time when I talk about it at a conference, someone, someone emails me to yes. say, I have one of those. Uh, I have one of those. Right. So, right. I, and, and I think it's a it's a career changer for me, too, because previously in my career, they just died. Yeah, like they had right. a, just terrible prognosis. Yeah. You know, if they came in a nephrotic syndrome. Yeah. Now I'm much more I'm much more proactive about just immunosuppressing yeah. them now that I'm seeing that that cat. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you use? Um, we would use for, if it's stable, we would mm-hmm. use mycophenolate. If it's very unstable in ICU, nephrotic syndrome, we would use PRED and mycophenolate mm-hmm. with the hopes of eventually tapering yeah, no, for long-term yeah. therapy to the mycophenolate. Mycophenolate is what kind of class of drug? Is just... um, I mean, I guess I would I would put it in a, as a general... I mean, an we would normally use an internal medicine. Fred, mycophenolate are kind of our most common two now. Leflunamide, cyclosporin, azathioprine, nobody wants to give azathioprine to a cat. Like those are our bigger biggies for immunosuppressive drugs. We probably have the most evidence for mycophenolate for immune-mediated disease because that's what they use in people and that's what we use in dogs. And and we've seen some very successful cases with that. So, um, and of course I would love a kidney biopsy, but lots of people to diagnose it, but lots of people don't want to do that. Right. And so we can also do SDS page. So we can look uh-huh. at um, the the protein um, SDS page. I know another acronym. So yes. <laughs> we're we're doing protein electrophoresis basically of the urine, which right. the the renal biopsy service right. does as well right. um, at Texas. So you can send a urine sample to them. And um, Dr. Jessica Hocamp is in, in charge of that assay, and that's going to tell us, is the protein in the urine glomerular or is it tubular? Mm-hmm. And it will give us a better idea as if we suspect that animal has immune-mediated disease. Mm-hmm. Right. So sometimes yeah. we'll do that ahead but of time. But not, not all labs can do, no. and not all labs can do um, can process uh, a renal biopsy if correct. you're thinking of glomerular. It's a specialized it thing. It is a specialized Right. Thing. So, so you need to send it to the right place. Correct. Yeah. So, and that would be the, the IVRPS. Um, <laughs> so International Veterinary Renal Pathology Service <laughs> at Texas A&M. Yeah. It's, it's just people. moved. It's, we like our acronyms. Thank you very I much. Know. It's just moved from Ohio State to um, back to Texas, Texas okay. because Dr. Hocam okay. uh, relocated yeah. there. Yeah. So, so in North America, that's that, in that's North what, America. That's what yes. We use. Yes. And there's right. one place in Italy on the European side, oh. so um, where okay. we would typically. So the European similar yep. thing. Yeah. Don't buy a big bag of cat food, yeah. cat, right? Yeah. yeah. So in our, um, you know, we just actually lost one of our poster children for that recently, but he lived four and a half years. Now, that, 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. That yeah. is actually exceptional. Yeah. yeah. And his creatinine was five when I met him and his UPC was in the teens. Uh-huh. So, and we, we just were like, this has got to be what it is. He responded amazingly and he lived a good so you, life. So you see the response. Yes. Yeah. We so, usually do a trial of about eight weeks. If they yeah. don't, if they don't respond in eight weeks, then it's probably not going to happen. And so then we, you keep them on for the yeah. rest of the week. So there's nothing wrong if the owner can't afford the whole, Correct. it's nothing wrong with response to therapy Correct. either as being your diagnostic yep. tool. Yeah, I, I absolutely. And especially, I feel much more comfortable with that now that I've seen more cases. Yes. So yeah. if we have a really high suspicion right. and they can't do anything else, I'm not going to deny them. No, chance, why not? You know? Why not? Right. Yeah. Um, not terribly. Michael, yeah. no. It's not as cheap as Pred, for sure. But, no. <laughs> but for a cat. But, but it's, it's, it's a, you used in some cases Pred, but it, was it? Before, did you only could use bread, or this was well, always so, available? So this is the thing. Previous to us using more mica fun weight, um, when I had used bread, I didn't always see a good response. So, uh, you know, we had, like, some cases that would do okay, but I, I just think I've seen much more miraculous things happen with right. these new classes of immunosuppressives than we did historically mm-hmm. with the bread, because lots of people mm-hmm. would put them mm-hmm. on bread. And I just... Oh, yeah, absolutely. They just still didn't do very yeah. well. Yeah, the, the, so. the ones I've had never... Right. They never did as well yeah. as you would have wanted them to do on bread, right? right? Exactly. Right. And mycophenolate is a drug many veterinarians never heard of, uh, understandably, mm-hmm. right? And so it does take a while till at least some people start to build up oh. some experience right. and a comfort level with a drug yes. that, you know, we we never, we rarely use for anything else. Yeah. So, yeah. Going back to my original question. Which was? <laughs> we forgot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Must be a different. Uh, I forget that mechanism of working between the two drugs. Then obviously, it's not just only <laughs> immunosuppressive. Yeah, so we'll look it up in plus. You know, that sounds great. You know, I love, yeah. I love the fact yeah. that we're talking with internal medicine people here. And I'm like, okay, well, thank you. Thank you. I should know that. <laughs> I did not properly study. This is really good. This is <laughs> All right, any other changes in the Irish? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so we added on um, using appetite stimulants in stage two for the kidney disease. So that was my that was my ask being new to the right. Irish board because I think traditionally people have always said, oh, stage two cats aren't really affected by their disease. Yeah, they're not sick, you hear. I, you? Just, yeah, yeah. I just don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. The, the majority of cats that present to us for enrollment in clinical trials or they're struggling, like they're often stage two cats and they're often struggling with just very subtle appetite problems and weight loss and muscle mass and I want to get on board earlier I don't want to wait until I have that cachectic anorexic mess and that's also going to help me um, you know in terms of we're studying appetite dysregulation so we know that there's um, you know hormonal signals that are imbalanced Mm -hmm. in these cats where there are substances that build up in their bloodstream that actually you know, they decrease yes. the yes. signal to be hungry in your yep. brain. So, yep. you know, we're, we're helping rebalance them yep. by doing appetite. That's a complicated balance. story. It is actually, a complicated story. It? Yeah. So um, we're recording this at Western Vet Conference in 2023. And so um, I did a lecture here a couple of days ago, just about the, the sick hospitalized cat mm-hmm. who doesn't eat. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, just did a little a bit on like, why doesn't he eat? Well, there's right? so many things. Right. Yeah, and yeah. and not even not even in terms of like what's the disease, but like what are the mechanisms, yes. right? And as you start to look into, they go, that's really complicated. It's <laughs> yeah. yeah. so complicated. Inflammation. Yeah. Um. You know. Again, a lot of these products 
that should be excreted by the kidney are not, are not. but so many things have a yeah. negative effect yeah. on appetite regulation yeah. that I don't think we give them credit for. Yeah, we see uremic toxins building up at that yeah. stage. So yeah. there's, you know, there's, there's things that are happening. So for both cats and dogs, that was added into the iris recommendations that's a good as thing. well. Oh, that's really and, and, and there's really, um, it's a good timing as well because we actually do have good yeah. appetite support medications yep. now. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I also yeah. think that from an owner perspective, owners also think that when they add something to the food, it probably will help, like other foods, mm -hmm. to stimulate the appetite. But then they forget that in that food, probably there might be really high phosphorus right. and that right. sort of thing. So mm -hmm. we need to, 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 to exactly, that's something that. Uh, yeah. Uh, that so we, if it, it, one thing, back to the basics mm -hmm. again, uh, iris staging, can you explain again what one, two, three, four? Is? Yeah, so iris staging, once you have a diagnosis of kidney disease, right. is based on uh, serum creatinine mm -hmm. on two occasions to try to figure out where you are in the schema of severity of disease. Right. So, um, you know, iris stage one animal may not even be azotemic yet, but you determine there's some, some abnormality abnormality, be it with their urine, be it with their kidney itself. And then we get into three stages associated with various increasing levels of azotemia so, in a stable patient. All right. So would you say that if you do uh, USPGs all the time uh, and you see a decrease and it's hovering around 135 or whatever, 1035, mm -hmm. um, would you call that a stage one then? You still have it. You still have to have additional confirmation. Oh, you have to, right? So I'm suspicious, mm -hmm. but I'm waiting for you know I'm. So stage zero. <laughs> stage suspicion. Yeah. yeah so stage yeah, so, S. Right. so but uh, we're we're looking at that USG. We're looking to see. Um, I might pair that with something else. What if my kidney palpation was abnormal? Right. But as I see that repeatedly. I'm very much suspicious that that's a stage one yeah. cat. But we have to remember there's lots of other reasons to have a decreased USG, right? right? right. So, you, you know, we want to make sure that we're specific as well. Right. Um, but, yes, yeah, so the key is that we can't we can't also be doing that. It's not appropriate to iris stage something until it you actually have confirmed it has kidney disease. So right. yeah. you don't iris stage the cat in the azotemic crisis in your ICU. Yeah. You don't iris stage the cat with a ureteral obstruction yes, because right. there's an outflow problem. Right, yeah. right. So once we've stabilized them, so I may say in my medical records, I think there are two to three. And of course, no cat follows the rules. So they're mm -hmm. popping around, <laughs> you know, today I'm a two, yes. tomorrow I'm going to be a three. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I have to take into account true. muscle mass as well, right. and that's where yes. SDMA can help. So if they're really muscle wasted, your creatinine may be falsely decreased, right. and your SDMA might actually kick you up to the next right. iris stage. So. Yeah. And the next iris stage two, and what do you have to be for that? Um, what do you mean? I mean, what, what? Yeah. So you you expect yeah. what iris stage one was? Yeah. So so iris stage two is based on the creatinine, so it's right. going to be one point six to two point eight. Okay. And then three would be two point nine. Um, and up to five, and right. then four is beyond five, five right. and beyond. Right. So, so it's the creatinine that's still. It's the creatinine. Wow. Yes. But SDMA is used as kind of a, a you know, a fudge factor, way, right? a, like yeah. a boost, yeah. boosty boost, because you want to yeah. consider them at the, the the greatest possible iris stage, if you will, so that you're catching everything. And where, right. comes, where comes George? No, George. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think TBD for me. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's yeah. that's probably a little different. Like that calcium phosphorus balance and 
CKD <laughs> mineral bone disorder is, is a different, you know, you could be, you could have abnormal FGF 23 or not right. within that iris stage two in particular. Right. So as you get to stage three and stage, stage four, you're very much more likely for FGF 23 to be up. Complicated. Okay. Actually, you know, and, and, and you're a specialist in this field, so it's even complicated if I listen to you. <laughs> I can only imagine what venereans in the field yeah. must feel. And yeah. It's like, it's, uh, you know, the more, I always also think the more tests you have, the more complicated it gets. Sure. Because there's all these variances and variations on the theme. And then you have the cat, like you said, that jumps from one stage to the other. Yep. Then do you need to listen to the cat, right? Uh, is he eating? Is he losing weight? We're going back to personalized medicine. Hydration. Yeah, right? hydration. You know, so, fixing as many of those little things. Yeah, as yeah. As so, you know, really you need to address those no matter right. what iris stage the kitty is in. Do you right. know what I mean? You need yeah. to really say, what does he need? Very exciting. We have uh, probably one or two more questions left. I know it goes really fast. So uh, so we hit the big iris changes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So the, um, so you're new on the iris board, right? Are there other new members? Yep. So um, um, we there are several people were brought on. So Shelley Vaden, Jaden yeah. Foster, oh. Sherry Ross. Oh, yeah. I'm, probably gonna, I'm probably going to forget somebody. Oh, no, no, that's great. Yeah, that's that's great. Great. It's, it's the usual suspects. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, yeah. 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 Drawn from the same um, pool. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, but that's what great. With the, the, did that ever happen? The American College of Nephrology. Yes, it's underway. Still. I mean, it's happening. It's happening. Oh, good. But good. I'm not on that. Yeah. Yeah. You have to email somebody else about that. No, but I heard that rumor. I was a long time ago. Yep. It's there. They're in the planning. They're in the setup stages and planning stages of making. But will you then be grandfathered in, or do you have to? No, I would have to do the work. Yeah. I'm correct. Who are you? Because I, you know, after my last exam, I did. Kathy Langston and I did have a chat about that and I'm like well I just you know I I don't know if I'm right. I mean, yeah. it's kind of yeah, it's, a little it's daunting <laughs> um, I haven't <laughs> taken a test in my well, a it's, long it's, time it's not that it's more of a bandwidth oh, of course. So yes. I have to truly ask myself if that's the most appropriate right, thing right, for right. me because right, my right. I mean when I make decisions about how to spend my time it's mm -hmm. very much based on what new fun science can we learn from <laughs> our feline patients? No, I mean, I my, my primary call has always been the studies, the, yeah. the clinical research and yeah. asking the questions, that, right? answering the questions, the clinical questions we have for our chronic kidney disease patients. So that's always going to be my primary, um, you know, that makes sense place it. where yeah. I need to be. Yeah, because um, we all, all only have so much time, right. so much bandwidth. Right. So, and we have right. so many new exciting studies coming, you know, and new things that have come out. So if you would have a magic wand and you could answer one question that you always want to have answered, what would you I would want to know why some, I mean, this is just off the cuff. This is my off the right. cuff. I would want to know why some cats progress and some cats do not. Um, and I, I think that that might relate to, I don't know, in my study of renal aging and cellular senescence and, and all of that, I, I wonder if it relates to 
renal aging mm -hmm. versus disease. Like mm -hmm. if we see some cats and they're azotemic and nothing ever happens with their kidney disease, it just seems really boring throughout their later years. Is that more of a form of renal aging mm -hmm. as opposed to some right. other mm -hmm. pathophysiologic abnormality mm -hmm. gets tipped off for them? Mm -hmm. But we don't, we don't have a good understanding of, right. of what that is. Because if we were able to understand that, obviously we'd be able to intercede more. So you would say that in, in a renal aging cat, it's like the kidney is not functioning 100%, but it is just like stable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, so even without azotemia, so we recently just published a histopathology study where we looked at quote unquote normal kidneys right. as they age. So in cats who have a normal USG and a normal creatinine, there are histopathologic abnormalities in their kidneys that increase with age. So there's, and that's true in people as well. Yeah. You have an aging kidney. Yes. You have increased senescence, mm. tired cells that can right. no longer repair themselves right. in the aging kidney. So that older kidney is more susceptible to damage, right. Right. even before you get to the point of being azotemic. Mm. And then possibly, and in human medicine, they have this concept of like, well, what is aging and what is disease? Mm. So it's possible yeah. that our very slightly azotemic animals that never progress yeah. are just aging. Are just aging. Yeah. And that's more of a form of aging yeah. than it is of disease. And we just, we just don't know it's that a, interesting concept because you know when you when you verbalize it it makes sense because as you age like you, you know you right. notice a lot of body systems don't work well they break so why would kidneys all be you know, any different be any different right, right? Exactly. it does make sense yeah yeah so much research and senescence going on right now there will probably be some major breakthroughs there too mm -hmm. yeah which would be beneficial for this kind of patient. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right. Yeah. So that's been an area of interest for study as well in our in our basic yeah, science work. So that much. is a wonderful end of another yes. great podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> you're welcome. Absolutely. Yeah. That Always was a pleasure. Awesome. Okay. Always fun. No, you're going to do it again. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. Well, we're really pleased to have had Dr. Quimby with us yet again. Um, the time always flies when we start talking <laughs> yeah. about kidney stuff, right? So um, check us out at prairpodcast.net. Um, I try to keep the website up to date. So. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Did you just, just notice that I'm doing better? There's a lot of social yeah. media things coming out that were up to date. It's just like, ooh. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I'm glad you noticed. Yeah, you uh, so you can see a listing of our guests there. You can actually just listen on the website. Um, uh, you can also find uh, Per Podcast probably in most uh, podcast platforms that you like to use. And we found an article that was the number one podcast. Oh, yes. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, yeah. So, I, like, it was exciting to read it number one, but what, what I like better is uh, whoever wrote it said that we are hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> Not a surprise. <laughs> so, in the good way. Yeah, yeah, I'm taking it in a good okay. way. <laughs> yes. I'm like, okay, we're the hysterical podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you want to find a hysterical podcast, uh, that's us, and uh, we're at Per Podcast on social media. So. Thank you, Jessica. Yes, Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at 
cat pet Susan. Dr. Yerwa Kirpenstein is a diplomat of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at G-V-E-T-S-X. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Screw Bites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at per podcast.